Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Welcome to the Defender Bible Study Podcast. Today is Monday, November 13th, 2023. My name is Chris Johnson. I serve as the Vice President of Church Partnerships and Government Affairs for Lifeline Children's Services. Today, we are continuing our study and our look at the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter number 4, verses 1 through 13. Here in 1 Corinthians 4, for one more chapter, Paul is addressing and admonishing the Corinthians regarding these issues of division and unity within the church. He's continuing to address this kind of a one-upmanship that's so evident, uh, where some of the folks in the church were saying, I'm better than you because of who I follow or because of what I do or because of what my giftedness is. And, and he was dealing with these issues that were that were so evident there in the church. And and so he's, he's coming to chapter four here, and he's kind of really, you can almost sense a little bit of frustration. He's like, man, we're, we've got to deal with this. We've got to make sure that our hearts are right and their minds are right and our understanding is right uh, in these issues. And so the people there were continuing to to use Paul and Apollos and Cephas and even Jesus kind of as as, as pawns in their games of kind of promoting themselves and trying to uh, to get their own names forward and, and try to promote themselves as being better than others. And so the passage we're going to look at here today in verses 1 through 13, really we can we can divide it into three different sections. Uh, we're going to first look at the first five verses, and, and really they're dealing with, with how the people were looking at the ministers or how, at the apostles, at those who were preaching and teaching. And, and really it's a good admonition on how we should look to and, and whether what this idea of judging those who lead uh, looks like. In verses 6 and 7, we're going to see how he was uh, really kind of challenging them about how they look at themselves and dealing with the issues within their own lives. And then verses 8 through 13 was more about how they're perceived before others in the world around them. So we're going we're gonna to break this passage up into those three different sections and, and look at each of them so that uh, we can receive really just some, some admonition from Paul ourselves uh, regarding the importance of unity and, and how we uh, relate to one another within the body of Christ, within the church. So first, let's look at verses one through five, and we're going to see uh, how the people were looking to and judging the ministers and, and what should be our understanding of that. Paul says in verse one, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of students, stewards, that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Paul is addressing in here this, this idea of the people standing as judges before those who are ministering to them. And he basically tells them they don't have a right to do that. They don't have a, a right to stand as his or any other minister's judge. And instead, his desire was for them to, to view him in a specific way, to view ministers in a specific way. He says, the, the way that you should regard us, the things that you really should be looking for in our life are twofold. There's two roles that he said that as a minister uh, that he was to, to, to uphold. First of all, was the role of a, of a servant, of a servant. He says, regard us as servants of Christ. 
Now, the word servant here, it's, it's hupateris in the, in the Greek, hupateris. It means under oarsmen. It's, it's the idea, and it's really the, the word that was used to describe those who maybe were in a ship that had various labor lo- levels. Uh, they were at the lowest level of that ship, and they were the ones that were, that were, that were turning those oars, that were working hard to keep the ship moving. They were serving the rest of the people on the ship because they were the ones that were moving the, the boat and, and, and getting things uh, accomplished and getting the boat to its destination. Uh, it's the idea of a subordinate or an assistant, someone who is, again, taking that role of a servant, of an under oarsman that is, that is willing to serve others. Uh, and the truth is, ministers are called to be servants, ultimately called to be servants of Christ, of Jesus Christ. Um, it's not the role of a servant is not one for the forefront. It's not one that's, that should be desirous of the limelight. And so uh, the, the lives of ministers should be marked by humility. And, and really, the ultimate goal is to, is to please and serve Christ, not man. So in our leaders, we should be looking for people who are who are servants, who are willing to, to, to serve the body, to serve the brothers and sisters, and, and, and that aren't desirous of being put out front and being in a place of, of prestige and honor, but are content and willing to serve as an under oarsman, uh, the work of Christ and the, and the body of Christ. But then again, servants of Christ, not servants of the people, not servants of, of man. And, and yes, they are to serve men. And don't get me wrong there, but the mindset and the heart is the service that we do is ultimately under Christ. And so as people who are being served by ministers, it's important for us to recognize that their calling is not to, to, to serve our wishes and our desires, but ultimately please Christ. And so even in their leadership of us and their serving of us, ultimately they're serving Christ. And we need to, to understand that and, and recognize that and, and be looking at that. Not only does he say that ministers are, be, are to be servants, but they're also to be stewards. Um, he said, stewards of the mysteries of God. The word steward, uh, it's the Greek word oikonomos, excuse me, oikonomos. Oikonomos means a manager or an overseer on behalf of another. So a steward recognizes the things that he is managing or overseeing do not belong to him, but he is doing it as a ministry, as a servitude to the owner of those things. And so what are, what are the things that he is the steward, the minister is the steward of? It says here that he's the steward of the mysteries of God, the mysteries of God. Now, in some places in scripture, when we hear about the mystery, especially in Paul's writing, a lot of times he is referring to this reality of, of how the gospel was, you know, was the, 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 the people of God were the Jews, but now the gospel has gone both to the Jews and the Gentiles. And, and now the two are joined together in this new thing called the church. And, and so oftentimes when Paul's writing, he's speaking of that mystery. But here he's referring really to a, to a more general message of the gospel. And, he, and he's ultimately saying that ministers need to recognize that they are stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ, stewards of the good news of Christ. And as a steward, part of the role is to protect the purity of the gospel. It, it's to protect and make sure that that gospel is not being tainted or not being watered down, but also then to proclaim its supremacy, to, to, to preach the gospel, to, to promote the, the power of the of Christ to change hearts and lives through the power of the gospel. And so there's this, this understanding that um, this gospel doesn't belong to me. So therefore, as a minister, I'm called to steward this gospel well. And so I've got to protect its, its purity. I can't water it down to, 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 you know, to please man and to try to fit into the culture of the world. Um, I've got to proclaim that it's the gospel that changes lives and the gospel is supreme. And so I can't give my life toward other things that would, that would not be as effective and powerful as the gospel. So this is a heavy weight and a heavy responsibility. Um, it's important that ministers don't misrepresent 
the gospel or allow it to be twisted or compromised. And again, this is done ultimately in accountability to Christ alone. It's done on his behalf because he's the owner. He's the one that, uh, that, that carries within himself what the gospel is, the meaning of the gospel. And so we as ministers are stewards of that gospel and are called to steward it well. So in their role as stewards and as servants, uh, he says here that the primary requirement, it is required of stewards, not that they have a big following, not that they lead a big church, not that they um, make a bunch of people happy and enjoy life. The calling is to be faithful. It's required that stewards be found faithful. Again, what is that faithfulness to? That faithfulness is to, to their calling, to the calling that God's placed in their life. That faithfulness is to their ministry, the work that God's called them to do. And and ultimately, that, that calling is to be faithful as they know that they will ultimately stand before the Lord. And so with this understanding of Paul, he says, hey, I want you to, to look at us, regard us as servants of Christ, regard us as stewards of the gospel, but you're not to stand as our judge. Paul goes on to kind of recognize that even himself, he's not his own judge. And ultimately, he's accountable to the Lord. And, and so we've got to see that, that leaders and, and ministers in our lives and uh, in, in the church are, are accountable ultimately to the Lord. Absolutely, there's a certain sense of accountability where, uh, where you know, we're, we're challenged to hold leaders and to hold um, elders and ministers. We want to hold them accountable to walk in truth, to not put themselves, you know, in a, in a place of supremacy. But it's ultimately not our place to judge. Paul's goal was not to please man, but to get to a place where he received his commendation from the Lord. Uh, he says there, at the end of the section, then each one will receive his commendation from God. Ultimately, Paul says, you know what? I, I want to lead you well. I want to serve you well. Uh, I want you to be fulfilled in the things that I'm teaching and the things that I'm leading you in. But ultimately, I'm going to stand before the Lord. And what I want to hear is from him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And the reality is we, we need to follow leaders who recognize this. We need to follow ministers who are accountable to Christ. Uh, those who are not trying to please us. Those who are willing to stand firm in the gospel. Those who are walking in this high calling of being a servant of Christ and a steward of the gospel. So it's good admonition for us as Christ followers to, um, to understand the role of those that God has placed in our life to lead us and, and to be able to, 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 to trust them, to uh, encourage, support them as they again seek not to please us, but as they seek to walk in a way that honors God and honors his gospel. The next couple of verses, Paul, verses six and seven, uh, is kind of addressing again how, how the, the Corinthians were to look at themselves and really good admonition for us here on how we view our lives. Verse six is, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So, so he's addressing two things. Verse six, he's really kind of addressing this idea of them being puffed up and prideful about who they were following. Again, they were kind of adding these extra things on there. And so they were trying to pit one another, uh, pit, really, they're trying to pit one of the ministers against each other. So trying to kind of pit Paul against Apollos and against Peter and against uh, the other teachers. And, and he says, you know, you're, you're putting us in a place where you're saying that you're better because of who you're following. 
it's almost like they're falling into these same practices that we see so often in the political arena, right? Where people think that they're better than others based on what political leader they follow. Uh, because I follow this man, we're, we're better than this group over here that's following this man. Or I follow, I'm a part of this party, which is better than this party. And, and I, I, uh, we, we look down on others based on who they follow, based on, uh, on, on kind of what their, their understanding of things are. And the, and the truth is we, we understand that in the political world. World, and there certainly are realities around uh, things that, that we hold to be true and things that we believe, but there's no place for this within the church. We're, we're called to follow God's word, not specific men. And there's no benefit and blessing or, or some special uh, endowment because you follow this preacher or you follow this teaching or you follow this way of thinking. And, and so we've got to be careful not to think that we're better than others because of, uh, because of who we follow or because of what we think about a certain issue. I kind of call this the, kind of a spiritual snobbiness, right? We kind of get in this mindset where we think, um, you know, I, I'm a part of a more uh, conservative group, or I'm a part uh, of a more reformed group, or I'm a part of a more charismatic group, or I'm, I'm a part of this. And what we ends up happening is we get so close-minded that we think that, that our way is the only way. Um, and we begin to kind of look down on others that don't think the same of us, as us. I would never go to that church because it's so liturgical, or I would never go to that church because it's so loose and they just kind of do whatever. And, and, and we get this air of pride about us. Again, it's this spiritual snobbiness, thinking that we're better than others because of certain things that, that we might understand or certain beliefs that we might hold. And again, recognizing there absolutely are fundamentals of the faith that we must cling to. And we certainly shouldn't be a part of something or follow someone who would lead us apart, uh, lead us aside from those fundamentals of the faith. But within the body of Christ, of those who are preaching a pure, true gospel, there's variance and there's room for, for some, some differences among us. Uh, and, and we should never get to a point where we are thinking that we are better than others because of the views that we hold and because of the way that we interpret or understand certain passages of scripture. And so Paul is warning about this. I think it's a great, uh, again, admonition for us to, to think about in our own lives as well. And then in verse seven, he's, he's addressing this idea of them being puffed up and prideful about what they had or, or what they knew. Um, and, he's, and he's kind of thinking, you, know, you, you think that you've got all the answers and you know these things and you're being puffed up. But the reality is you don't know anything apart from grace. You couldn't even come to Christ apart from grace. You can't receive the teachings and the things that have been shared with you apart from grace. And so Paul's reminding them, you they have no reason to boast. They have not accomplished anything on their own. It's all because of what God has done for them and the grace of God involved in their lives. And again, man, do we need to hear that in our own lives. Uh, when we get to think that we have arrived or we think that we are better than others who are outside of, of the gospel, man, we need to be reminded that everything we have is by the grace of God. Uh, it's not anything that we could do. We were dead. We were lost in our sins when God provided his grace and mercy and love in our lives. And, and so we've got to recognize that anything that we have and anything that we uh, get to be a part of is by the grace of God. And because he's given that to us or called us to that, John had this understanding, John the Baptist, uh, in John chapter three, his servants were kind of coming to him and kind of saying, you know, hey, there's all your, your, your followers are not, they're leaving you and they're going to follow this guy, Jesus. And, and, and John had the right attitude. And he said, Jesus, John answered, John three twenty seven. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. John recognized the things that he knew, the things that he understood, the things that he perceived about Jesus being the Messiah, uh, even the, the blessing of people following his teachings. 
All of that was a gift from God and not anything that he had accomplished or he had done. And his end result in there, his end way of thinking of that is in verse John uh, chapter three, verse 30, where John said, he must increase and I must decrease. Man, if we would have that attitude. It's not about what I know, what I can do, what I can accomplish, but recognizing anything the good that I do is because of God's grace in my life. And therefore he must increase. God must increase. Christ must increase. God's grace must be preached. The gospel must be proclaimed and I must decrease. It's not about me. It's about this message, this good news of the gospel. Good perspective for us today. So again, how to look in, how to look to and, and judge ministers, how to look at ourselves. And then the third part in verses eight through 13, Paul's addressing how they were, how they were perceived before others. Uh, how do we understand this viewing the way that others look at us? And how should that, uh, how should we, we, we understand, how should we live in light of that? So in these last few verses, I'm going to read verses 8 through 13 in just a minute, but I want you to listen as I read this and as you as you look along in your Bible, we really just sense kind of a great deal of sarcasm from Paul at this point. It's almost as if he's like, I've tried everything to change your thinking. I've tried to get you to understand this. And so now he's kind of wrapping up this section regarding the, the divisiveness in the church and pride and arrogance that was so evident. And he comes out strong, hoping to get them to see their need to humble themselves and live differently before the watching world. Um, let me read it and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it. He says in start, starting verse number eight, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. He's, he's again, you hear the sarcasm. He's basically kind of saying, well, I guess you've already arrived. You don't need anything from us. You're good on your own. You're large and in charge. You're the ruling king. And so <clears throat> I need to recognize, really, I should just be your servant and come alongside you because you really have all the answers and you've got it all figured out. I've got to admit, there have been times where I've used this tactic with my children in parenting, right? Especially if you've, if you've parented teens, then you definitely understand that. There's something that happens when they hit that 12, 13 year old where they just kind of think they've got all the answers and they've got everything figured out and they no longer need mom and dad's advice or help. And, and sometimes I have said things like, okay, great. You got it all figured out. Why don't I learn from you? And why don't you teach me these things? Uh, but Paul is kind of using this, this again, this, uh, spirit of sarcasm kind of to, to drive home this point. So let's look at the point that he's that he's driving home starting there um, in verse number nine. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become come and are still like the scum of the world and the refuse of all things. Man, what vivid imagery there, the scum of the world and the refuse of all things. But Paul is saying here that, that God gave him and the apostles as exhibits to them and to the world around them of what uh, of what this, a lot of Christian life should look like. In verse nine, Paul said that, that they were a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. This word spectacles, the, the Greek word theatron, we get the word theater. It's a place for public show. It was ultimately the place where condemned criminals or the weak would be put on display or fed to beasts in a public display, uh, just really for the amusement and the entertainment of the people. And, and so Paul's basically telling them, you think that, that you're all that and you seek to blend in and be held in high regard in the world around you. But those who are ministers of the gospel, they're going to be mocked. They're going to be reviled. 
defiled by the world and, and our lives shouldn't make sense to the world. We should live in contrast to their value systems. And really, you know, Paul is saying we're in a place where the world and those that are embracing the thinking and the teaching of this world, um, they look they look at our demise as folly. Uh, they they look at us being beaten or eaten by beasts and they, and they take joy in that and it's entertainment for them. And so again, this contrast of some of those in the Corinthians, man, they were trying their best to kind of live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church and the things of God. And they, they didn't want to uh, tarnish their reputation. They wanted to be placed in a position of prominence uh, so that even the world would view them as such. And Paul is encouraging them and really try, kind of, again, making this point uh, that this, this, this is not the way to live. In order to make this point, he continues to drive kind of this type of sarcastic comparison. He's comparing the way that the apostles lived with the way the Corinthians lived. When I first read this, I'm kind of thinking, what is mean, you know, we're fools, but you're wise. And, but ultimately what he is saying is this is the perception that you're trying to present. You're trying to present to the world that you're wise and you're smart and you've got it all figured out and you have all your needs met. Uh, when in the reality we're content and okay with the world looking at us as fools, with the world seeing us as weak, because our strength and our provision and our wisdom is not in ourselves. It's from God. We in ourselves are fools. We in ourselves are weak. But it's God working in us. And so Paul gives this really comparison. I encourage you to kind of walk through that and look at that. And I'm going to kind of walk through each of these of kind of what he is saying and what he is meaning um, in this understanding of, of how the world views us. Paul's basically saying, we as ministers and as the apostles, we're okay with being as, being viewed as fools. But you try to make yourself look wise. We recognize that we're weak and can't do anything on our own, but you want to appear strong and you want to walk in your own strength. The world looks down on us for what we believe, but you desire to be held in high regard and seated in a place of honor. In this world, we're okay if we have to go without, if we have to be hungry or thirsty or do without fine clothes or take abuse or not have the nicest house while you fixate on having the nicest of everything and blending in with the world around you. We recognize that this world is not our home and we're living in a better world. We're living for a better place. You want to build your kingdom here and have the nicest of things and be viewed in this world as successful. We're willing to work hard to do what's necessary to support ourselves in the work of this ministry, but you're okay to just be lazy and, and you want things given to you that are, that are not earned, that you've not earned. And when the world looks at us, they revile us, they persecute us, they slander us. We continue to love, we continue to serve, we continue to be a witness, and we call them to the gospel. But your desire is to be liked and accepted, and you're often willing to compromise the gospel to attain that. Ultimately, we're willing to be viewed by the world as scum and garbage, as he said, so that the gospel may go forth. Our goal is not self-promotion or the comforts of this world. Our goal is that the world around us would see in our lives a reflection of Jesus Christ and his glorious good news and that they would come to faith in him. And so Paul is encouraging them, hey, recognize the way that you're living and recognize the, the things that you're sharing with the world, that you're promoting to the world and be willing to do what is necessary for the gospel. So we, again, just kind of think back over this passage. As God's people, we we got to heed these admonitions from Paul. And let's, let's make sure that we've got the right perspective on our lives. Let's make sure that we have the right perspective on those who are ministering to us and leading us. And then let's seek to, to really live a life that, uh, live in a way that, that just goes against the grain of this world. So that, again, we can have a testimony, a testimony to the goodness and the grace of God. My prayer is that we will walk in a way that gives us that testimony, that we will be able to proclaim the gospel to those around us.
So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to, to guide us in these things. Uh, we're also praying uh, this week for our Lifeline team and specifically for those who are who are receiving calls and, and talking with families about domestic adoption, uh, dealing with, with women that may be in crisis pregnancy. They're trying to figure out uh, what their next steps are and then uh, helping birth parents, adoptive parents kind of come across, come together across our ministry and are navigating those important relationships. Uh, our team that, that receives those calls for families that are kind of trying to consider uh, what type of adoption they want to engage in. So just, just pray for wisdom for this team and, and for endurance and that they would really just, again, be able to uh, to help navigate these conversations and uh, pray for the gospel opportunities that they'll also have with, with the people that they interact with. So let's go Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace and mercy. And God, we do recognize that anything we have is only by your grace. And uh, God, I pray that you would help us to walk in that understanding that we would not be boastful, that we would not be full of pride, God, that we would not be arrogant in the way that we interact with those who you've called to lead us, in the way that view ourselves, and then even in the way that we interact with the world around us. And so, God, give us this mindset of humility and servitude to the gospel. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing at Lifeline. We thank you for the families that are seeking to uh, welcome uh, children into their home. We thank you for uh, those that are willing to also minister well to birth mothers who are in such a difficult situation. And God, I pray for our team. I'm so thankful for the ladies that you have placed at Lifeline that have a heart for birth mothers and have a heart for families and have a heart for uh, waiting and vulnerable children. And I pray, God, as they interact with uh, with families and birth parents, God, that you would give wisdom and discernment, uh, that you give them the ability to to provide good counsel that honors you and that promotes the gospel. Uh, Lord, I thank you so much for the faithfulness of this team. I pray you'll just continue to encourage their hearts. Continue, God, to call more people to this ministry of adoption. And God, we will trust you in it. We will give you praise and glory. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.